Now, if you are Venezuela, Saudi Arabia or BP, the year has not started well. Something extraordinary has been happening to the oil price. Oil prices have collapsed. The International Energy Agency says we're drowning in crude, which raises the question, how can those in the business community keep their heads above water? Mr. Gage, you are now putting another billion dollars of your own money uh, into green innovation. Well, the returns will come uh, partly through the benefits to society, and so... Uh, well, good afternoon, everybody. Today, we're here to announce America's Clean Power Plan, a plan two years in the making, and the single most important step America has ever taken in the fight against global climate change. But I am convinced that no challenge pose a greater threat to our future. Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Off the Charts podcast. I'm your host and executive director of the Energy Policy Institute at UChicago, Sam Ori. The energy industry is in a state of transition. The past decade has seen a massive increase in the, in the availability of resources. Think of the technological revolution in shale recovery through horizontal drilling combined with hydraulic fracturing. Meanwhile, hardware costs for solar PV cells, wind turbines, and lithium-ion batteries are plummeting. New products like electric vehicles are entering the marketplace, and competition in the utility space from distributed generation is just beginning to ramp up. But the next phase of this transition is arguably the most important, and it centers on the consumer. Or more specifically, the way consumers interact with energy providers, the information they have on hand when they make choices, and perhaps most importantly, the information that they in turn share with energy providers. Now, access to consumer data could unlock up to $580 billion annually in the electricity sector alone, according to McKinsey, all while improving efficiency and reducing emissions. The implications for energy efficiency and transportation could be as large or larger. But there are real obstacles to this future, uh, most notably privacy concerns. Today, consumers are reluctant to share data about how they use energy, and utilities are reluctant to take risks that could result in lawsuits. Is there a way forward? With me to discuss his recommendations, released in a report today, is Mark Templeton, Associate Professor at the UChicago Law School. Mark, welcome. Sam, thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about the, the report that's out today. What are the, what are the core recommendations? Great. So Sam, uh, the core recommendations of this report are uh, that in order to move forward on energy data being more available, which would allow for increased energy efficiency and emissions uh, savings, legal barriers uh, need to be reduced. Um, the utilities have historically been concerned about sharing data because of concerns about liability, also because of concerns about how it might affect their business model. Privacy groups uh, have also been concerned about how information uh, about how people use their energy uh, might be used by uh, malfeasors uh, to uh, hurt people. Um, and those two groups have kind of worked together uh, historically to stall uh, the needed reforms uh, in releasing energy information. So, uh, so the story is that essentially... Uh, there's all this data and the way that we consume energy, and we're increasingly doing a really good job of tracking the way that people consume energy through smart meters. Um, utilities have good data on a monthly basis about how much natural gas and electricity we're using in our homes, for example. Uh, and, and really, to date, that information has not been widely available um, to, to innovators, to entrepreneurs, to, to other third parties. Um, I guess, you know, 
what's the what's really get into the, the the nitty-gritty here so what is the way to unleash that information yeah so so the way to unleash that information and and, and i want to be clear here uh sam that uh utilities uh have collected a lot of information uh, over time right they have billed us uh in terms of you know our, our monthly bills um they are now investing billions of dollars uh in smart meter uh, deployment so this information very granular information is being gathered about how much energy is being used. It can be tied back to what is the marginal source of production um, that these uh, utilities are, are tapping into, um, uh, which households, uh, even what appliances uh, in those households. Um, and, and so the, the idea here really is that we need to access this information in order to get the maximum benefits uh, in terms of either um, you know how much energy is being used, so looking at opportunities to reduce that, or it's shifting when demand actually takes place. All of those things can actually save consumers uh, money um, and certainly helps because, for example, uh, it reduces use uh, on our uh, transmission uh, infrastructure, reduces the need for additional uh, generation to be built, uh, reduces uh, carbon uh, emissions. And so, uh, you know, b- being from the law school, uh, we take kind of a, a lawyerly uh, approach to these issues and try to look at what are the legal barriers to a free market um, working for these purposes. So in this report, um, we dive really deep into what are some recommendations for addressing these barriers. So uh, one of these barriers is that utilities are worried about being sued. Uh, What happens if they turn the information over to a third-party entrepreneur and something happens to that information when it's in the entrepreneur's hands? Um, Will the utility be liable uh, for that, um, for example? Um, uh, What what happens um, uh, in terms of paying uh, for this, right? This is not going to be costless uh, for the utilities to uh, transfer, uh, to process and transfer the information. Is that a cost we're expecting the utilities to bear? Or more appropriately, should it be uh, borne by those people who receive it uh, and kind of rate payers uh, more generally? these are, these are some of the kinds of solutions that we look at to basically try to address utilities' uh, concerns about liability. So the, the kinds of data that are being generated. There's there's probably a vast array, and I, I think I assume this has broad implications across a number of different uh, sectors and in, in, in ways in which we use energy. But for just for a couple of for examples, I mean the kinds of data that that's being generated, uh, when and and how you're using electricity in your home, uh, if you're an owner of an electric vehicle, uh, where you're charging, for example, if you're you know every time that you're taking that electric vehicle and plugging in at a at a, at a public charging station today, that there is data that's being generated. Uh, what the state of charge was when you plugged in, uh, how much electricity you consume when you're there. And consumers look at that and they say, or consumer uh, privacy advocacy groups, I think, look at that and say, wow, this reveals a lot of information about what people are doing, where they're going, um, you know, how they're, how they're you know, using energy. I mean, if, if you know where people are charging throughout the day in their car, you can kind of plot out basically where they've been. And so, uh, you know, people get very concerned about sharing that kind of information. And so historically, the way that people have approached this is to say, well, we should anonymize the data. We won't, we won't, uh, we won't share this data with outside groups on an individual level, but we'll take aggregated, uh, anonymized data, and that's what can be available. Uh, you know what? I, but that never seems to actually happen. So that, this is actually this has now been building up for a little while, and uh, I've learned in, in the last few months that 
not only has this been a big problem in the transportation space where it seems like it would obviously uh, create some potential challenges, um, but it's it's a big issue uh, even in the still in the residential space and. A lot of times people say that they're doing analysis based on access to, to utility data, but it turns out that it rarely do people actually have access to utility data. So what's been the, what's been the barrier from preventing people from, from taking this kind of next step? Yeah, so I, th- I think that uh, one of the major barriers, again, is kind of lack of legal uh, certainty. So in an environment in which utilities don't know if they're going to be held liable or not, uh, they can be very reluctant to actually share this information. Um, while there are some utility innovators, generally speaking, uh, utilities are used to just make, you know focusing on ensuring reliable service, in- ensuring regular billing. Uh, innovation has uh, typically not been their forte. And so they've been gathering this information, and I think really not generally quite sure what to do with it because of these particular liability concerns. Uh, In terms of some of the solutions that we talk about, uh, anonymization is uh, definitely one of them. Uh, We also talk about aggregation uh, as well. So there are different standards that are out there um, in terms of aggregation. One is a 1515 standard. So basically um, making sure that the data is provided in such a way that it represents at at least 15 households with no household representing more than 15% of the energy usage. That's one. There's another that's out there, which is 480, which in a sense is more granular for households, no household representing more than 80% of the usage. I think our approach to this is looking at it as kind of a a sliding scale, um, which is that uh, as the data becomes uh, more aggregated, it can become more available uh, to the public generally to look at. So for example, uh, if it was above something like the 1515 level, then that information could be provided kind of quite widely because it really would be uh, essentially impossible to re-engineer and and have any privacy concerns. As you kind of go down the sliding scale, the 1515 down to 480, you you need to have other protections. So you want to have not just the world having access to this information, you want to have entities that have been Screened that have a, pr- a purpose uh, that has uh, that's permissible for this. You want to make sure that they actually have um, you know insurance uh, in place in case there is a data breach. I mean, sometimes these are startup companies and. You know, we love startup companies, right, because they're the engines of innovation, but often they're thinly capitalized, which means that if there's a problem, they would declare bankruptcy and people would be kind of left in the hole. So if they can actually go out and get insurance for this, that's a way of making sure that there is some money to uh, reimburse people if there are any problems. It also shows that they're really serious about it, right? Because insurance is going to cost them money. So, they, so uh, these are some of the some of the mechanisms um, in terms of making sure that the the data is uh, uh, available in a meaningful kind of way with some appropriate protections. So, and now, so who is this for? Uh, I mean, uh, it seems like the the argument that you're making is uh, we know that all this data is being generated. We have uh, we have a good sense of the kinds of things potentially that this could unlock. Although I I think we should talk. I'd like to talk more about that. But um, you know, so we know uh, what what the opportunity is, and if only we clarified the rules of the game, uh, that would enable some you know some progress. And and so who needs to do that? So basically, um, energy law uh, in terms of what utilities are required to do really takes place at the state level uh, in the United States. And so um, state legislators and state regulators uh, need to implement these policies. Um, This report 
uh, really summarizes the perspective of a lot of the key stakeholders who I think have been talking past each other. And so it's designed to kind of advance the understanding in that way. But what's really uh, innovative about this report is that includes model language that can be used by legislators uh, or by regulators that they can plug and play uh, into their existing statutes um, or regulations. As a former regulator myself, people would come to me and say, hey, I've got this great idea. And I'd say, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Now, actually, what's the language that you'd like to see? Um, uh, because that's kind of where the, the rubber hits the road. And frankly, it makes the life easier uh, for those people who are uh, in, the, in the position of being a regulator. And so this, this is trying to you know, really be specific about what those uh, changes need to be and to make it easier for uh, legislators and regulators to implement them. And, 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 and I guess kind of just more broadly, you know, so in a sense, it's very specifically for, for uh, legislators and regulators, but really this is about the benefits that would come to um, everybody by having these rules clarified. And so what are the kinds of things that if this is implemented, what are the kinds of things that it could unlock? Um, so what it could un unlock, for example, um, is first, we would have, I, I think, a much better understanding of the reality of the uh, economic impact of particular energy efficiency uh, measures. Um, my colleague, Michael Greenstone, and some of his uh, collaborators have shown that the uh, weatherization assistance program uh, really underperformed um, relative to expectations. Well, that energy efficiency uh, programs, I think, the idea is uh, more, uh, more broadly that, these, that the modeling approach that was used in the WAP, but it's used in lots of other instances. Ab ab absolutely. Um, and so um, that really raised some questions about what are these individual measures that are being used when you start to disaggregate it, which of those are actually cost effective. Uh, and what this does is it uh, basically gives uh, entrepreneurs the opportunity to access and to look at uh, which of those measures are actually most cost effective uh, and not. Uh, it allows for other kinds of innovation as well. So um, we were partly inspired to work on this report by conversations we had with a couple of different entrepreneurs. Um, these entrepreneurs um, basically have been uh, figuring out ways of doing um, financing for energy efficiency uh, implementation. So the idea is that a, uh, uh, a homeowner um, would contract with the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur would assess their energy usage, the entrepreneur would pay for energy efficiency measures, and then the entrepreneur would pay for the resulting uh, utility bills on a monthly basis. The consumer would then pay the entrepreneur, and the entrepreneur would cover the cost of the actual energy uh, bill from the utility, um, the, the, uh, basically the cost of their upgrades, uh, and, and make a profit from this. But in order for this kind of model to work, um, uh, they, they need access to accurate information. And the more accurate the information, the more competitive their offering uh, can be. And so it seems like in energy efficiency that this, there's, there's some obvious implications or obvious opportunities uh, to really get a sense of what's working and, w and what's not working. Um, but I imagine there are, there's probably a much broader set of implications. I, I know, for example, in the transportation space, utilities have long been uh, pressing the automakers to share with them when a customer comes in and buys an electric vehicle and at a minimum to be able to share with them the zip code uh, of the purchaser so that utilities can start to get a sense of where are these cars going to be? Uh, you know, for people who who follow EV markets, I you know it's it's a sort of a rule of thumb that 
70 to 80 percent of the charging occurs at home and so if you know where people are going to be charging their vehicle at home or if you know where the purchasers live it gives you a good sense of where the load is going to be uh, but to date automakers and utilities have not been able to come to terms on how to share that information um, and it's for this exact reason you know that automakers are concerned if we share this data and there's some kind of a breach at the utility we get sued how will it work and so this idea of really clarifying the rules of the game and and creating model language in a framework i assume could have very broad implications beyond just energy efficiency uh, absolutely i mean it um this information, um, you were speaking just about the electric kind of vehicle uh, part, uh, you know, that, that's both kind of on the demand side, but also given what's happening with, uh, you know, cars and how they could be used to the batteries to supply energy. It's also speaking to the supply side uh, as well. Um, un understanding better, again, what load uh, is, is used and when um, can really, I think, affect uh, investments in renewable energy sources, uh, which, you know, need to be matched in terms of when they come onto the grid um, or when they are coming, you know, they, they come onto the grid uh, when the sun or the, or the wind are, are driving them. How, how do you then kind of manage load uh, in response to that? And one can imagine a situation in which there is kind of talking between these, right? So for example, um, you know, the appliance that, you know, you, you, one loads up one's dishwasher. It doesn't matter to me whether it runs at eight o'clock, 8 p.m. in the evening or 10 p.m. or, or you know, 2 a.m. Uh, as long as it runs by 6 a.m. in the morning, in my particular case, uh, then that works. So you can have these kinds of two-way communications that that really um, I, I think is important because you know we've been guessing, right? We've been guessing at what the, the demand growth is going to be, and and. Uh, and so in some ways we have, we, you know, that leads to overbuilding of generation because people are concerned that, oh, we're not going to be reliable. And, you know, that's one of the great, you know, outcomes of, you know, the modern electric markets in the United States is we've got, you know, generally speaking, uh, great reliability. But if there are ways to manage that cushion so you aren't built, you know, quite building out quite as much, uh, that's important. Kind of on the other side of that, uh, we're experiencing some real transmission uh, issues uh, as well as some of my colleagues have written uh, at Epic have written about uh, as well. So if we can do a better job of managing wh when energy is used, that I don't think that's going to solve fundamentally the transmission problem, but it could help ease some some of the issues in the short term. So this issue of consumers is really interesting. Uh, it, it's uh, it's also the case that just coincidentally, there's some research that came out uh, this week from uh, the Department of Economics here from from John List that is looking at uh, in the case of airline pilots. Um, what are the most effective ways to get them to reduce uh, to reduce their fuel consumption and increase efficiency and and and, uh, and reduce emissions ultimately? And it turns out that the most cost-effective way, uh, based on this big randomized control trial that they ran uh, with a major commercial airline, is simply by providing the pilots with the information, letting the pilots know how much energy they're consuming um, versus their peers, letting them know, uh, you know, during taxi and during flight, what are the things they're doing that are increasing uh, efficiency and things that are decreasing efficiency dramatically changed people's behavior. And in fact, the thing I, I think that was the most interesting was uh, pilots reduce their energy consumption or improve their efficiency by like 50% just based on the fact that they knew that someone was keeping track of it. So this idea of providing people with more information, they change their choices, I think is incredibly powerful. Um, so, 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 so I agree with that, Sam. Um, uh, I, I also think we have to 
uh, you know, understand the difference between a consumer and uh, someone who is being watched by a supervisor. It's true. Um, and uh, on the one hand, you might say, okay, well, consumers should be even more concerned because it's money coming out of their own pocket. You know, I, I would also say, even as a consumer myself, I, I don't even necessarily have a good idea of, of why my energy bill varies from month to month. Is it because uh, th th it's been hotter or colder uh, than it was in prior years? I mean, it's, it's nice seeing what my prior year usage was, um, but uh, you know, the, the information is kind of it, it, when it's aggregated like that, it's not useful enough. So you know, disaggregating it into moments in time, like okay. How, how much is it going to cost me to run my dishwasher right now versus what it's going to cost me to run it at, and, and right now uh, being the day um, when we're talking, versus 2 a.m. in the morning? That can help, me make, can help me make a choice. I guess one other point I would make, Sam, is that um, people, people like to not worry about this, right? Um, and, I, and I think that they've gotten kind of comfort um, from the utilities worrying about it, right? So I don't have to worry about reliability. It's, it's gonna be there. Uh, and I've lived in places where that's not been the case. And, and uh, it's created problems and expensive for, 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 for people. Um, and, and so, again, I think that's where entrepreneurs uh, can provide a, ideally a happy uh, in-between solution that, that, is, that is better, right? So if the entrepreneur uh, knows that it's kind of more cost-effective to run stuff in the middle of the night or it's more cost-effective to put in insulation in certain places versus repairing, you know, replacing windows or whatever the case might be, let me outsource it to them. Um, and, and so I feel like, you know, because there's a profit motive for them, they're going to figure out, okay, how can they make money, you know, between me and the utility, right? There's a gap right now between me and the utility. And I think if they can come in and, and fill it, they should be entitled to a part of that. So essentially, it's not, uh, it's better for me, lower cost, um, better for the environment, which I like, um, but also I don't have to worry about it. So, right. I, so I guess my point is, my broader point would be, um, you know, pro providing uh, consumers more information and more different kinds of solutions is where we should be headed. Right. And the, you mentioned the, this idea of the implications for the future of the grid and the grid build out. I would imagine that, you know, in a, in a, this idea, this notion of, of free data and big data really driving decision-making could have huge implications in particular for, I would think for the, for the build out of renewable energy. I mean, on, on the one hand, um, you do have this issue of, um, of transmission and, um, you know, there is a good argument to be made that we need a much, much more robust transmission network that would help deliver a lot more renewables and it would reduce, I mean, there's an argument to be made that it would reduce the, the intermittency that the consumer sees if you really had a well-connected, well-integrated grid where you had solar running in the daytime from the Southwest and wind at night from the, from the Midwest. Uh, but setting that aside for a second, I mean, the idea that the, that renewables do have a defined load curve and do have a, this intermittency issue. I mean, if you could match up load with when the, when sun is, when, you know, when the sun is shining or when the wind is blowing, um, I would think you could potentially take a lot more advantage of those resources. Uh, ab absolutely. And I, and I want to be clear that I uh, completely agree um, with the issue that we need to resolve these transmission issues uh, in order to get um, the energy from where the resources are located or, or where they should be located, you know, to the market, to where, to where, to where the people are. Uh, again, I think that this is another tool and technique for making sure that we're optimizing, you know, the entire system right. in terms of what energy is available at a cost-effective time, you know, cost-effective 
at what what point in time, um, and uh, again empower you know using using the market um, to to solve these problems. Now, on the on the issue of data aggregation and anonymization, are there downsides to that aggregation? Does the aggregation and anonymization is there a point at which the data becomes uh, essentially too bland for an entrepreneur to be able to really do stuff with it? Yeah, well, uh, so, I mean, cer- certainly if you were to say we're going to aggregate all of the information for uh, everyone who uh, lives in, say, Oak Park, Illinois, which is 55,000 people, like, that's not that useful. Um, uh, you know, the, the more you drill down, certainly, you know, to, to block level uh, information, that's better. The more you then drill it down to, you know, which side of the block, um, and, and then down to individuals, it's, it's going to be more useful. And then, frankly, within even a given household, you know, the kind of assessment of what appliances uh, are they using uh, at what point in time, right? That's going to that's be uh, the, the most useful. Um, so I, 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 this is, right, this is, this is a sliding uh, a scale, and there are going to be trade-offs. Um, I, I think that, and to be clear, you know, uh, we are not advocating for finely granular data to be available to, to the world uh, to look at. And frankly, we think that even the information that's provided to these entrepreneurs should be aggregated, you know, at the 480 or 1515 uh, kind of level. What that then lets them do is, fig- is look at, okay, where are these pockets? And, and to basically compare these pockets to each other and then use other information as well to say, okay, where should we be targeting our, our efforts? Where do we think there's the biggest bang for the buck? So, for example, you know, take that information, combine it with information that you can get about real estate, okay, you know, f- from, say, a property assessor, which, you know, is not perfect data either, but, okay, what year was the house built? How many square feet? Um, uh, and, and, and then sort of run the data against those data sets and say, okay, this just kind of seems strange that this set of households uh, is kind of running, you know, much higher. We should go, that's a place where we should, t- we, the entrepreneurs, should tar- target for these on- uh, opportunities uh, as well. But that's, ju- that's just kind of one side of it. The other side would be, and again, kind of building off uh, the data which um, Michael Greenstone and others have used. Michael and others have been able to get access to that data often because they're academic researchers. That information has not been as available to the entrepreneurs. And, th- and those pro- programs are, off- are being run uh, either by government funds or by uh, ratepayer funds. And so having access to that information for a key set of entrepreneurs, again, not for the world, but for people who are clearly in the business and, and have got the insurance and got the protections, having them have access to that will help them understand, again, what's going to be most kind of cost effective. Now, I mentioned earlier that McKinsey has done this analysis that showed that uh, access to consumer data could unlock up to 500 billion, or $580 billion annually in the electricity sector alone. Uh, is there, do you have a good sense of, are there other economic kind of benchmarks, other ways that, that, to help us think about what are the potential uh, economic implications of this or, or the climate implications? Uh, you know, I always find that, uh, that having access to that kind of information sways policymakers uh, the most. Uh, yes. Uh, so, I mean, th- there is a, um, a, another McKinsey study which estimated that using energy efficiency technologies with behavior adjustments in the U.S. Um, could lead to a savings of uh, up to 20% of total uh, U.S. residential energy consumption. Now, again, that was kind of based off of engineering uh, studies. So, if you take a you know, a, a haircut on that, uh, say, you know, a 50% or even a, you know, a 70% uh, haircut on that, you know, 
that that is still you know a, a you know five five to ten percent of U.S. Uh, residential energy uh, consumption. So that's not a small thing. The, the other thing I would add is actually you know it's it's really important to think of this at the margin, right? You might think of okay. Why does it matter at the margin? Well, the margin is actually going to be where you're you're actually getting the most expensive power, right? right? Because you're you're matching basically the supply of power at the marginal price to the marginal demand. So every bit you can save on the marginal or shift on the marginal demand side re reduces the prices significantly um, for everybody, not just for those people um, who are uh, the ones actually using that using that energy. Um, so uh, you know there are, there are other estimates as well about investments. You know, uh, American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, you know, made estimates about how a one million dollar investment in building energy improvement will initially support twenty additional jobs through the economy. So there, there, there are a variety of estimates out there. I guess my point would be, um, yeah, this approach focuses on what's uh, economic. Uh, if it is not economic for the entrepreneurs, uh, they won't do it. Uh, and, 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 and so, you know, let's open up the data. What gets done will be economic and will be therefore beneficial um, uh, to the people involved. So for listeners to the podcast who find this subject interesting, what should they do? Well, obviously, first, they should download uh, our report. Uh, but, but seriously, Sam, uh, what they, sh they should do a couple of different things. One, uh, it's possible that they live in a state that has already made some progress uh, in terms of consumers voluntarily uh, getting their data from utilities uh, and then sharing it with uh, third parties. Uh, there's a program called Green Button, um, uh, which exists. It's really a consent-based uh, approach and requires a proactive effort um, from the consumers. Uh, but people should uh, look into that, uh, the availability uh, of that in their particular state. Um, you know, the other thing I would say is that uh, legislators and regulators are influenced by the public. Uh, having been a former regulator myself, uh, people should get in touch um, with people at the State Public Utilities Commission, Public Service Commission. There's all, often an a separate office, uh, uh, which is like a ratepayer advocate uh, that's part uh, of, of these entities or another part of state government, and say, hey, I think it's really important that this information uh, is made uh, available to entrepreneurs to innovate. So they can take things which will help them individually, but also uh, the more people push for change, the more regulators uh, are going to have to respond to that. Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. Make sure to subscribe to the Off the Charts podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including on our website at epic.uchicago.edu. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Sam Ori.